You are tuned to KVMR, FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's time for the KVMR Evening News for Friday, December 11th, 2020. For their support, we'd like to thank John Hensley and Recreation Realty, offering essential real estate services since 1973, showing properties by appointment, following safety protocols. Recreation Realty, Nevada City locations, Broad Street, also Highway 20. 265-6565, nevadacountyproperties.net. Coming up on tonight's newscast, we'll have a look at our local headlines and weather. Then NPR will bring us national headlines. After that, we'll talk with Amy Irani, Nevada County's Environmental Health Director, about our county's stay-at-home order and the lawsuits filed against the county. The Public News Service will take a look at Friday's news stories. Coming up at 6.30 this evening... It's the California Report, and at 7 o'clock we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. Now here are today's news headlines. The Nevada City Council voted unanimously this week to enact an ordinance allowing police to enforce the state's mask mandate. The enforcement comes with fines of $100 for the first-time offender, $150 for a second violation, and $200 for a third. Nevada County is under the state's stay-at-home order for the next three weeks. Restaurants, which were required to limit dine-in service to outdoor seating under the purple-tier guidelines, will be further limited to takeout or delivery only under the stay-at-home order. Retail and shopping centers will have tightened restrictions, which will require both to reduce indoor capacity to 20% and standalone grocery stores to 35%. Critical infrastructure, schools, medical and dental care, and child care services are to remain open under the stay-at-home order. The union reports that the Grass Valley School District campuses will return to distance learning instructional formats this coming Monday, according to District Superintendent Andrew Withers. The district began the academic year with distance learning in August and had opened its campuses for hybrid instruction district-wide on November 2nd. Withers said the district's Early Childhood Learning Services and Essential Workers Care Program will continue in person unless ordered by health officials to close. For the rest of the district, the plan is to reopen campuses for hybrid instruction on January 4th, with district staff to continue to monitor the status of COVID-19 in Nevada County in the meantime. Withers said that if that plan changes, the district will provide an update. The Nevada Joint Union High School District similarly announced in late November they would be returning to distance learning after having opened classes for hybrid instruction on October 12th. District Superintendent Brent McFadden said that it is too early for the district to determine a date for returning to in-person instruction at this point. The Tahoe Truckee Unified School District, which had opened campuses for hybrid instruction on October 29th, also announced late November it would be returning to distance learning. Plans remain unchanged at the Union Hill School District, which has been in a hybrid format since the beginning of the academic year in August. California Assemblymember Jim Patterson is blasting the Employment Development Department's efforts to combat fraud, saying the system the agency deployed has been rejecting legitimate claims. Patterson held a Zoom meeting yesterday to talk about the problems people are having with the ID.me program. Patterson called the implementation of the ID verification program a complete failure and describe what's going on at the EDD as a rat's nest of incompetence. EDD says the IDME system was designed not only to prevent fraud, 
but it was going to speed up the application and approval process for people trying to get unemployment benefits. But Patterson says the system is rejecting people for no reason, and when the person tries to call EDD to figure out why, they can't get through to anyone to help them. Patterson said, We began to hear from people and also two inside whistleblowers at EEDD who are telling us that the IDME system is failing substantially. All right, let's give you a little bit of good news. Yesterday, Dolly Parton pulled her nine-year-old co-star Tate Hill out of the path of a moving vehicle on the set of her new Netflix holiday special, Christmas on the Square. Dolly plays an angel in that movie. The weather forecast for Grass Valley and Nevada City is calling for a half an inch of rain possible tonight with lows in the low 40s. On Saturday, rain in the morning with highs near 50. Saturday night, rain after midnight with lows in the mid-40s. And on Sunday in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, rain possibly over an inch with highs in the upper 40s. In the Sacramento region, tonight a half an inch of rain possible with lows in the mid-40s. On Saturday, a few showers in the morning with highs in the mid-50s. Saturday night, light rain after midnight with lows in the mid-40s. And on Sunday in the Sacramento area, rain with highs in the mid-50s. In Truckee, tonight, 1 to 3 inches of snow possible with lows in the upper 20s. On Saturday, snow showers in the morning with highs in the upper 30s. Saturday night, a few snow showers developing late with lows in the mid-20s. And on Sunday in the Truckee area, 1 to 3 inches of snow possible with highs in the upper 30s. In Angels Camp this evening, over an inch of rain possible with lows in the mid-40s. Saturday, rain ending by mid-afternoon with highs in the mid-50s. Saturday night, cloudy with lows in the mid-40s. And on Sunday in Angels Camp, rain with highs in the mid-50s. That's the KVMR Evening News Headlines. I'm Felton Pruitt. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. The Food and Drug Administration says it will rapidly work to grant emergency use authorization for Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine. That follows yesterday's vote by a panel of outside advisors recommending the process move ahead. NPR's Richard Harris says while there have been some isolated allergic reactions, overall U.S. health experts believe the vaccine is safe. Those severe allergic reactions are a well-known side effect of vaccines. They didn't show up in the huge clinical trial of the Pfizer vaccine because people known to have severe allergic reactions were not allowed to participate. But Dr. Paul Offit, a vaccine expert at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, says we shouldn't get overly worked up about this known risk of vaccines. What we should do is what we've always been doing, which is be careful. And so for that reason, you are asked after you've gotten a vaccine or your child's gotten a vaccine to hang around for about 15 minutes, just in case that's a problem. And if it is, the nurse or doctor can give you a shot of epinephrine, which is a drug that's used to treat strong allergic reactions. NPR's Richard Harris. The Federal Indian Health Service says its allocation of the first expected coronavirus vaccine will be enough to cover 100 percent of its health care workforce. NPR's Kirk Sigler reports Native Americans have been disproportionately affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. The IHS says it expects to distribute 22,000 doses of the first Pfizer vaccine and 46,000 of Moderna's. Rear Admiral Francis Fraser says as the vaccine supply increases, tribes will then be able to prioritize distributions for elders and others with health conditions that put them at greater risk of serious illness or death from COVID. Our ultimate goal is to ensure that safe and effective vaccines can reach Indian country 
as quickly and equitably as possible. Native Americans have long suffered from health care inequities, and during the pandemic, they've been four times as likely to wind up hospitalized. Kirk Sigler, NPR News. A rare development at the U.S. military court in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. A prisoner who has been held there for more than 18 years without ever being criminally charged has been cleared for release. Here's NPR's Sasha Pfeiffer. The prisoner is a Yemeni man in his mid-40s who is accused of being an al-Qaeda operative. But Guantanamo's periodic review board, which functions like a parole board, now says he is no longer a significant threat to the United States. Known variously as Saeed Salih Saeed Nashir and Hani Saleh Rashid Abdullah, he is only the second Guantanamo prisoner to be cleared for release during Trump's presidency and the first under Trump to be cleared through this parole-like process. It's unclear when he may be released and where he would go. The State Department must first negotiate his transfer to another country with, quote, robust security assurances. Sasha Pfeiffer. NPR News. A mixed close on Wall Street today. The Dow was up 47 points to 30,046. The Nasdaq closed down 27 points. The S&P 500 was down four points. This is NPR. Canada is implementing a national vaccine injury compensation program. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, anyone who experiences a severe adverse reaction to a COVID-19 vaccine will be eligible for compensation. Officials describe it as a first in Canada's history. It's a no-fault program and comes as the country prepares to roll out the first of several new COVID-19 vaccines. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the federal support program will include all vaccines. He adds that even though serious side effects are rare, Ottawa wants to make sure Canadians have fair access to support. In Britain, at least two people have suffered serious reactions this week to a Pfizer vaccine. They had a history of severe allergic reactions. Health Canada gave final approval for the Pfizer vaccine this week. That came after the drug maker used more than 40,000 people in its final phases of testing. There were some side effects, but the company says almost all were temporary. For NPR News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk in Toronto. Former Hollywood movie producer Harvey Weinstein will remain in a New York prison for the time being. That's after his lawyers and prosecutors agreed to postpone efforts to send him to California to face sexual assault charges there. Weinstein appeared via video from a prison day before an Erie County judge who set a new date of April 9th for his extradition hearing. The 68-year-old Weinstein is serving a 23-year prison sentence in New York after being convicted on charges of rape and sexual assault against two women. He faces similar charges involving five women in Los Angeles. Crude oil futures prices closed lower today. Oil down 21 cents a barrel to end the session at 46.57 a barrel on the New York Mercantile Exchange. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. You are tuned to the KVMR Evening News. We're talking with Amy Irani, the Nevada County Environmental Health Director. Uh, thank you for joining us, Amy. Oh, thank you, Felton. It's my pleasure. You know, every time we talk, things to be getting a little more hectic and a little more serious. And boy, it just hasn't stopped. Now, as of today, people in Nevada County are under a stay-at-home order. Uh, you want to talk to that a little bit. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely correct. It's, it's every time we end up uh, chatting, things, things are getting more chaotic. And I think that the impact from the holidays, and certainly you and I can completely relate, and we, we are empathetic with everyone that people have been cooped up and want to see their families. But the end result is what we're seeing now. Uh, cases are on an incredible increase. Our hospitals are at capacity or beyond, and, and hence the stay-at-home order. So what, is, what does this mean? It means that, again, our, you know, our, our struggling restaurants, bars, 
and other facilities will be reduced back to carry out or to go orders only. Um, you know, bars will be will be closed, and again, the stress of of how do these facility operators, owner operators, survive? My heart goes out to each and every one of them. I know they are doing uh, their very best, but it is incredibly important that every member of Nevada County heed the orders, take the precautions, protect yourself, protect your loved ones, and that's really important. Well, let's start with restaurants and and places where you go to eat. They cannot serve outdoors, which they have been doing, and now they they used to be like at 50% indoors and 25% indoors. Now that's all shut down as well. That's correct, Felton, and and there's still the, I know a lot of uh, food facilities when we, we jump back, and it's hard to believe we're almost at the end of 2020, but when we jump back earlier in the year, uh, we started off with restaurants going to a drive-through curbside or to-go only option, and many food facilities adjusted to make that happen. And so we are now back to that particular type of operation. There's still a mechanism by which you know orders can either be delivered, they can be curbside, uh, drive-through if they're fortunate to have a drive-through or uh, folks can come and pick it up for carry-out. That option is still available to our food facilities, but yes, any congregating or dining indoors or outdoors is now not permitted. It's another round of the stay-at-home stuff. Have you heard about any relief coming from any government agency for small businesses, say some of our restaurants in town? Sure. You know, uh, one of the, I would recommend to to all of your your listeners that, you know, you get involved. There's a, a, a really wonderful COVID business task force meeting that's held by Caleb Dardick, part of the county, and it's usually on a Wednesday, and you can check the county calendar. But they talk about, and there's some great folks on there that talk about pending funding and how to apply and, and what's coming down the pipe. And it's from my recollection of this last past Wednesday's meeting, there is some talk about funding or what potentially may be available. But those updates are definitely things that folks can follow on the website, and they can also follow uh, via the uh, Nevada County uh, COVID Business Task Force. There's great resources there. This isn't something that's just happening in our county. It's happening all over the country and in parts of the world as well. Businesses trying to figure out what's the new business model now that we can't do our business. You know, it's, it's, that is a really good question, and I've had great conversations with restaurant owners and operators as to what can I do? How am I going to make this modification moving forward? And is this the new normal? And, and I have to say that even though we're in the height now of what we're seeing is incredible illnesses, incredible skyrocketing hospitalizations, there is a vaccine. I think that what we all need to remember is is that in some way, shape, or form, there is a light at the end of this long and very dark tunnel. And I think as it gets disseminated and we get vaccinated, we as a country or as a world will begin that recovery process. And things I don't think need to stay or we need to be focused that this is how it's going to be from this point forward. I believe there is light at the end of the tunnel, and I think we do have hope that things will return to some sort of 
normalcy as they were before. Yeah. UC Davis says they'll have a, a vaccines ready by Monday for their staff, so th- there is hope. Yep. The whole reason why we're shutting down the restaurants right now, and, you know, lots of businesses, is because the spread is so bad at this moment. You have some personal experiences uh, trying to deal with your family that has affected you and your ability to do your work. Yeah, it's, uh, I have to say that I've spent the, I've had the privilege of spending the last three weeks in Illinois and supporting my little sister and her family. They all got COVID. Unfortunately, my brother-in-law, who is a breadwinner, um, has been in the hospital for now 23 days in the COVID ICU. He has what they call the COVID pneumonia. He's been on a ventilator. Uh, This has been very hard. My little sister has, I have four beautiful nieces and nephews. Um, and it's a very difficult time for them, but I can tell you it's been gut-wrenching for me on the sidelines, watching my little sister uh, and, and my nieces and nephews struggle through this. It is emotionally draining, and it, it is a continual roller coaster as um, my brother-in-law goes up and down uh, on a recovery scale. So I, I implore anyone listening, please, Take precautions. Please wear your mask. Please wash your hands. Please do everything that you can to protect yourself and the people around you that you love because you do not want to go through what I have watched and I'm still listening to my little sister struggle through as I I return here. I talk with her every day. You know, you're helpless. You just rely on prayer and faith to get you through. I should mention that you are uh, you're at home right now, isolating. You're working from home, but you've been iso- You have to isolate for what ten days, I guess, now, Dave. Yes, we that recently changed. Our process at the county is to isolate for fourteen days. But yes, I am in isolation, teleworking, you know, and back home and taking every precaution. Um, I have been tested, so that's all negative, which is great, but still isolating per the protocols. So not only do we have all of this stress coming down, but you've got, and a lot of the government officials uh, in our area have a lot more pressure because these restaurants that are having trouble have now filed lawsuits against the governor, against our board of supervisors, against your health department. And they've even filed a lawsuit against you personally, which I found a little unusual. You know, Felton, it's one of those, it's something that one I think that the operators who have, have filed these lawsuits feel that that is a route that they need to take for whatever reason that may be, and I respect that. The fact that it's filed against me personally, the one thing that I can say with utmost clarity is that I was operating and, and doing my job as, as a public health official and servant. And nothing in my actions was done to single out any business owner or operator or to cause an incredible or undue harm. Uh, it was simply for public health and protection uh, in the wake of this pandemic. And as you can see, which is only getting worse uh, as we move into the holidays and everybody moves indoors. You and I have been talking, doing these interviews for, gosh, eight months now, it seems. 
and we all knew that it, things were probably going to get worse before we got a vaccine. That was what we were saying that six months ago. Well, here we are now in December of 2020, and that has all come true. So I just I think we should say thank you to you and all of our officials that are out there trying to help us, trying to figure it out, and trying to do the right thing to keep everybody safe, healthy, and especially from dying. Thank you. I mean, that's, but it's, it's all of us. It's not just one person. It's each and every one of us. We, we all need to thank, you know, our neighbors and our family and our friends that are all doing the right thing because we're, we're social beings, and this has been so hard for so many people to be isolated and, and to be out of touch with that, with that personal contact. And, and each and every one of us deserves that thank you. We are doing our jobs to the best of our ability, and our number one priority is all of us, is our Nevada County residents, it's everybody that visits our area, it's our family and friends, it's you, it's the people you love. We're doing our best to protect everybody. I think the latest polls that came out said that Governor Newsom is getting a 58% approval rating on the way he's handling everything right now, which is pretty amazing for a governor in a pandemic. Sure. Sure. It's, I cannot even, I mean, on, at, at our small scale, of the, you know, concerns that we've had, the public, uh, you know, response, um, whether positive or negative, has been significant. I certainly cannot imagine it on a state level. So, yes, he's doing an incredible job. Well, we're talking to Amy Irani, Nevada County's Environmental Health Director. As of today, it's stay-at-home, restaurants are closed, a lot of other businesses are closed. And then we got to wait till our ICU populations get better. Right now, most of us are below 15%. I think that's what triggers these situations. That's correct, yeah, because a lot of our uh, local, those that need that specialized care would be transferred, you know, to areas in the Sacramento area. That's why we're part of the Sacramento region in our particular allocation throughout this, the five regions that the state has allocated for for this tier rating. Biden says uh, he wants to have 100 days of mask wearing after he's inaugurated, but I think right now we have to get through Christmas and all of the holidays, and, and we've got to find some way to bring these numbers down and keep everybody healthy, and then we can open up our businesses again. That's it. That's what, whenever I talk with anyone, and, and I, I, I understand that they're in a very, a very scary spot, as a business owner, there is light, there is a vaccine. And, and if we can just hold on together as a community and do the right thing for the next few weeks until we can get that vaccine here, we'll all make it together. Yeah. And I think that's what's really important. You know, I, I say this every Friday evening, um, it's a great night to get takeout at one of your favorite local restaurants. I agree completely. Absolutely. <laughs> All righty. We've been talking with Amy Irani, Nevada County's Environmental Health Director. Uh, Amy, much wellness to your family and to you, and uh, thank you always for the work that you do for our county. Thank you so much, Felton. I really appreciate it. Same to you. You are tuned to the KVMR Evening News. Next up, we'll have the Public News Service take a look at Friday's news stories. The Public News Service Daily Newscast, December the 11th, 2020. I'm Mike Clifford. COVID-19 has been a major challenge to America's food supply chain. 
but a New Mexico researcher says it's proven resilient despite unknowns and panic buying. Initial stay-at-home orders led to stockpiling, empty grocery store shelves, and demand that far exceeded supply. Jay Lillywhite, an ag economist at New Mexico State University, says various laws governing food labeling, packaging, and sizing meant manufacturers and distributors were logistically paralyzed at the outset of the pandemic, which made consumers fearful there wouldn't be enough food. There is plenty of food there. The system is not broke. It stretched. It had to modify, but it did not break. There's plenty of food out there. Farmers are still farming. I'm Roz Brown. Food processing plants turned out to be a major weakness in the supply chain since many are highly dependent on labor and saw their output disrupted due to infection rates among workers. And efforts to reach a year-end agreement on a stimulus package to prop up the shuttering economy faltered Thursday. The New York Times reports that comes as aides to Senator Mitch McConnell, the majority leader, signaled privately that most Republicans were unlikely to endorse an emerging bipartisan compromise. The Times adds that McConnell's advisors expressed concerns that Republicans could not accept liability protections for business that they consider too limited, or funding for state and local governments that they have long resisted. Both are central elements of a $908 billion outline draft by moderates in both parties. A leading group advocating for seniors has a new report about COVID cases in South Dakota nursing homes. And the findings paint a troubling picture as providers try to keep residents safe. The latest COVID-19 dashboard from AARP says South Dakota is well above the national rate for recent case numbers and death averages. Between mid-October and mid-November, The state saw 22 new COVID-19 cases per 100 long-term care residents, up from five and a half in the previous four-week period. AARP State Director Eric Ikowski says staff members becoming infected is a big concern, too. Across the country, but also here in South Dakota, and we're just calling upon our leaders in the state to do as much as possible to protect our most vulnerable South Dakotans. Gajkowski says that should include doubling up on efforts to add staff and protective gear as the virus re-enters many facilities from community spread. AARP is providing these monthly snapshots using self-reporting data nursing homes send to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The report says 77% of nursing homes were without a one-week supply of PPE, up from 23% in the last reporting period. This is PMS. Latino students are entering college in record numbers, but that doesn't necessarily mean they are ending up getting degrees. UNIDA's U.S. and the University of North Carolina researched the reasons why some Latino students don't finish college and finds they're more averse to debt than their non-Latino peers. Mirna Lorele Cibrian is the Latino Partnership Program Officer for the Oregon Community Foundation. She says many Latinos are first-generation students and don't know how they'll be able to afford school. For me, when I thought about higher education and going to school, I looked at the overall amount that it was going to cost, right? Like, what was the total bill? And I said to myself, I remember, oh, I can't do that. Cibrian says there is a need for more mentors on higher education in Latino communities. Data from Excelencia in Education finds a large gap in degree attainment in Oregon. 22% of Latino Oregonians aged 25 or older had an associate degree or higher, compared with 45% of white Oregonians. More than half of Indiana's land is used for agriculture, and there's a new effort to keep those lands resilient to the effects of climate change. 
The Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance is promoting tools and incentives that can help farmers tackle the warming climate head-on. And Jessica D'Ambrosio with the Nature Conservancy in Ohio says the group wants farmers in the ag industry to become partners in finding solutions. And really changing the conversation from uh, you can either have this or that to more of that and. So we can work together on these issues and we can both have mutually beneficial outcomes. And the Alliance is promoting federal policies that focus on soil health, livestock and dairy, and forest. D'Ambrosio says they're encouraging and supporting farmers and ranchers who transition to climate smart practices and offering incentives to increase on-farm renewable energy and reduce energy consumption. Mary Sherman reporting. Finally, our Nadia Ramalagan tells us about a new report. It says women ages 35 to 44 in Appalachia are dying of drug overdose, suicide, and alcohol liver disease at rates 69% higher than women in the rest of the nation. The Appalachian Regional Commission report on so-called diseases of despair is based on CDC data from 2018. But researchers say financial, child care, and mental health struggles due to the pandemic will likely worsen the situation. Wendy Wasserman of the commission staff says this public health crisis is closely tied to economic development. Prime working age, that by definition impacts economic potential. In Kentucky, these mortality rates were 21% higher overall than in non-Appalachian states. This is Mike Clifford. Thank you for wrapping up your week with Public News Service. Member and listener supported. Heard on great radio stations all across the nation and online at publicnewsservice.org. Well, that's going to do it for our newscast for this evening. The KVMR Evening News is produced by Paul Emery Audio. For their support, we'd like to thank Tripp's Auto Body Shop, family-owned since 1954, expanding services to address community needs with curbside and email estimates, committed to protecting customers and vehicles. Open weekdays 8 to 5, Freeman Lane, Grass Valley. TrippsAutoBody.com Coming up next, it's the California Report, And at 7 o'clock, we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. Take care of each other, be safe, and have a great weekend.